Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online, and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough, and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then, and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email. This, and it was from a woman who said that she didn't know how she would be able to trust her husband. Now, I have always told the partners that I work with. If your husband is working a strong recovery, if he's doing his reading, if he's talking to the fellowship, if he's going to meetings, he's meeting with a sponsor, he's doing the 12-step work, he is going to a sexual addiction group as opposed to 12-step meetings. They're both very important. If he's seen a CSAT, a certified sexual addiction therapist, if he's practicing empathy with you, and if he is willing to put filters on his phone, take polygraph tests, be GPS, I mean, that says he is working hard for you. And that's how you know if you can trust your partner. Hey, I am Carol jurgensen She's a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I'm glad to be with you. Um you know, I had a um, listener. I never really get negative comments, but I had a listener who said, Hey, Carol, I think your volume and your clarity is not as good as it could be. And I thought to myself, Oh, no problem. I'll start using my microphone with my headphones. But you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to test that out. And what I know to be true is I used to do radio on drive time. Um, Yep, I was Carol the Coach, here to help you with all your relationship issues. We deal with sex, love, and relationships with Carol the Coach. Well, and I had a great headphone with a wonderful microphone, but I think I'm a dinosaur. It needed to be inserted into two different plug-ins. So I go tonight to put them in, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you've got a Mac, and that Mac's a couple years old, and it's not going to accommodate these old headphones with the microphone. So I am sorry. I will definitely get on that. I want to improve in any way, shape, or form that I can. So I'm going to get back with you. I'm going to make that my homework to get headphones and a microphone that sounds better. Because when, you know, when my clients say, hey, Carol, I wish you could do this, I'm going to do my best to get it done. The only other negative feedback I ever got was from my client who listens to the show, and he has ADD, 
And he said, Carol, an hour is too long for me. I cannot possibly stay tuned for an hour. Can't you do eight to ten minute segments? Well, Block Talk Radio does not afford me the opportunity to do both. Even though I schedule out for three hours, I'm not allowed. Once I hang up, I can't do a second segment. So I want to encourage you all to go to my YouTube channel. That's Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And on that channel, I do partner training and sex addict training. And that is always six, eight, ten minutes long. So if you have attention deficit disorder and you just listened to a little bit of this show, I'm going to encourage you to go to YouTube. You know, you can download the doggone thing if you need to. Listen to me. You don't have to watch me. You don't have to watch me and Boo. Boo Bear is my little uh, Shih Tzu Bashan, and he hangs out with me on YouTube. Well, he hangs out with me here at the radio uh, studio, which is my home, but... You don't hear him, you don't see him, but you will if you go to YouTube. So that's an extra incentive. You know, I have to giggle because when I am with people and they call me from all over the world because I had one of the first sexual addiction shows on the Internet, I'll get calls from Afghanistan and Africa and the U.K. and I'll I'll pick up the phone, I'll call back, and they'll go, Hello, girl, this is Ryan. I'm calling you from the UK. Oh, by the way, Carol, tell Boo I said hello. And I know that if Ryan has called me from the UK and he's talking about Boo, he'd see me on YouTube. So, um, you know, I do that because I want to make you feel comfortable. If you're a partner listening and you've been through this hell, I want you to know that I'm a friendly face, a warm voice that will get you to the right place. I'll get you to the resources you need. And if you're a sex addict who really wants to know what they can do to either improve their relationship, improve their recovery, or find a relationship and improve their recovery, I'll tell you that too. So keep listening. I got good stuff. I actually am excited because I'm going to be interviewing a man who believes you can save your marriage no matter what. And we've got him scheduled of about, oh, 13 minutes. Um, He gives us hope, that's for sure. And then I wanted to talk to you about two different resources that I think are excellent. I wanted to talk with you about BanyanTherapy.com. That is a new organization that's opened up in Los Angeles, uh, California. And they do group work with uh, addicts, their partners, and families from a multidimensional partner trauma model. So they ascribe to my own love for um, ITAP, which certifies sexual addictions therapists, and APSATS that teaches that multidimensional partner trauma model for partners. And they're the only sex addiction group in California, well, in northern Los Angeles, to provide a six-week IOP for sex addicts who need more support. good friend of mine runs this program, and I said, Dan, I'm going to let people know about you because truly I really feel like Sex addicts can get the help they need, but you almost need to do um, some sort of inpatient or outpatient treatment that includes how to work with the partner. And this multidimensional partner trauma model is the way to go. I highly ascribe to it. So if you are in that Los Angeles area, Go to www.banyantherapy.com. That's like Banyan, the tree, B-A-N-Y-A-N, therapy.com. They really can make a difference. And while I'm on it, I want to tell you that if you're a clinician or a certified coach 
we have at APSATS, and many of you know I'm on the board, we have an opportunity for you to go through our training and then, of course, you have to do supervision, which includes consultation. But we want you to become certified APSATS trained partner trauma specialists so that you can help the partner. And, you know, believe it or not, we also help the addict. We help build their self-esteem by allowing the partner to feel safe around the addict. And that we are doing another training, and that's going to be the end of February and the beginning of March. So go to APSATS.org, AppChats. And, you know, don't put it off. If you're a clinician and you want to make a difference in the lives of sex addicts and partners, I promise you it is the only way to go. Now, if you're a sex addict and you're wanting to get healthier, you just heard about the recovery tools that I think are absolutely positively necessary to get healthy. But what I also believe is that it is important for you to know your inner strength. And that can be difficult. You know, when you have been riddled with so much shame and so much um, pain, it's hard to know what you like about yourself, and what is good about you. So the other day I was working with um, a group of men, and I had my client go around the group and talk about what he believed he really wanted for his family. And he did that. He went around to each man and said, what I want most for my family is. And some of his um, responses were, I want them to trust me again. I want them to have faith in me. I want them to listen to me. And so he went around the group of ten men and he gave those answers. And then I said, okay, now... I want you to identify what is it about yourself that you believe is true, that is positive, and that would describe your personality. Boy, did he have a hard time with that. He said, I'm a hard worker. And I said, no, I didn't ask you what you're good at. I didn't ask you about your role. I asked you what adjective would describe who you are. And and he was at a loss and I said, Let me let me just help you with the first one. I said, one of the things that I know about you is that you are dedicated. You're dedicated to your recovery and you're dedicated to your family and they don't believe it yet. Only time will tell but I know and you know that you're dedicated. And he couldn't come up with a second word. Now, when I give this to my normal clients, normal meaning they don't suffer from addiction, I ask them to come up with 50 words. And this man could not come up with a second word. And so then I had to change the assignment. And I said, okay, would the rest of the group help this man to know one thing that you believe about him. So normally the man stands in the middle of the circle and he faces each man in the group and he says, what I want you to know about me is I'm dedicated or what I want you to know about me is I'm tenacious or what I want you to know about me is I'm loving. But because he couldn't come up with a second word, he had to be in front of each man as they said, what I know about you is. And then after we went around all ten men, he was expected to write down what those words were 
and bring them back to our next week's group. And if he couldn't remember, you know, it's very easy to have a lapse of memory. He had to call whoever he couldn't remember. You know, he might call me and say, Carol, I forgot what was the word you used to describe me. And I'd say, you were dedicated. You know, what I believe to be true is if you're an addict of any kind, drugs, alcohol, sex, spending, it's important for you to know your self-worth. Don't let that addiction take you down. And when you do that, when you're able to know your self-worth, you're much more likely to thrive, to thrive in your relationships, to thrive in the work that you do, and to thrive in your recovery. And, you know, that's interesting because we are going to be talking tonight to a man, Larry Bellotta, who... He was unhappily married for 27 years, and he used to refer to his marriage as hell. I think all of you can relate. If you're addicts, you know where he was at. And then he discovered some keys to help him shift and transform and make his marriage a safe haven. So, Larry, I am so excited that you are here on Sex Help with Carol the Coach. How are you doing tonight? Carol, um, I love what you do. Uh, you really do it really well, and uh, and you're very dedicated <laughs> to continuing to do it over and over and over again. And uh, you never get tired hey, of helping people. <laughs> you are right. I've done this every week for over four years, and I'm um, one of the first people to talk with sex addicts, and I find it an honor, and it's an honor to talk to you because you've discovered some keys to help you shift, transform, and make your marriage a safe haven. And that's what the addicts I work with want more than anything. If they're married or in a relationship, they want to create safety because what they've done with their addiction is they've made it unsafe. So tell us a little bit about you, where you came from. I know you've been married for over 40 years. Just kind of share your story. So I grew up on the west side of Chicago. I have an alcoholic mother and a gambling father, and so they have addictions. And um, there was no money ever because <laughs> they they would gamble it or spend it away. You know? And uh, privately, my father would take me aside and say, you know, we'd have more money if your mother didn't drink it all away. <laughs> and then my mother would take me aside and say, you know, we'd have more money if your father didn't gamble it all away. <laughs> So uh, they were they were addicted people, um, but what they did is they canceled out the addictions in me by saying that the other spouse uh, had a problem, and right. so by canceling each other out, they were literally programming me to not be be addicted to uh, gambling or alcohol. And uh, in, in fact, uh, this this programming thing is so powerful that I can't sit at a bar <laughs> in, in my adult life. I can't do it. Because my mother always sat at bars. Okay, so, so, I, so I grow up. I grew canceled, up in, in that. In that each other out, right? And, yes. and did did you have a problem with addiction? Um, well, the reason I didn't have a problem with that addiction, I've had the food addictions, uh, sex addictions, uh, entertainment addictions, television addictions. Um, so I, I've I've lived through that, and uh, and I've in in my work, I've done over 1,600 one-hour interviews with people in troubled marriages. And, uh, and this, is, this is a lot of material uh, to, to sit with uh, 1,600 people uh, for an hour. And uh, you really get an insight into uh, the addicted person and, and what it's like to be an addicted person and what it's like to live with an addicted person. And, uh, and I've, I've had so many people uh, I talk to because I, uh, you know, what I do is I work with the hopeless marriage. Uh, it's, in other words, it's half a marriage. The, the person wants to, to keep the marriage and the other person ran away. So I work with the people who stay. And, uh, and they have hopeless marriages. And this, I have a phrase, it only takes one to heal a marriage. And so that's why uh, people seek me out, because apparently I'm the only one in the world that says that. <laughs> well, that is amazing. And, you know, I can think of one other person. I've been training with therapists for 35 years, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Michelle Weiner Davis, but she oh, also is yes. from Illinois. And she does yes. divorce busting because she does not believe that you need to get a divorce. She says it only takes one 
to transform a marriage. So tell us a little bit about how you do that. Um, well, the job is that you're, uh, when, you, when you're rejected, you are rejected really like you've never been rejected before. And uh-huh. it doesn't mean you haven't made mistakes in the marriage and cheated on your spouse and all that. You've made mistakes, but at this point, you're not wanting to ever repeat what you did. And so you want to make amends, you want to make everything right. But your spouse is not on that road of making amends and making things right. In other words, your spouse is not a learner. You are the learner. Your spouse is not the learner. And so uh, what you're ready to do is you're willing to learn what you really never knew. You just didn't know it, didn't understand it. And uh, so that's what we could talk about tonight. What are these things uh, that people in these troubled marriages uh, don't know? And when you when you we're talking about an addiction in the marriage, um, and you know each addiction has its own uh, special personality. It has its own special way of steering the the person. You know, uh, if it's sex or alcohol or food or television or internet or gambling, those are those are the the, the top six. Uh, that what what is that really doing? What are each of those addictions doing? They are telling you that you don't need to be uh, putting this person at the center of your radar. Whoever it is you're married to, they, you really don't need them. And that's what the addiction does. It tells you you don't need them because there's something else with a bigger payoff, something with a bigger reward that's more valuable than that person you married. And I, I just, just with, with all these you know, hundreds and hundreds of stories I've recorded, uh, people fall asleep in their marriages. And what they do is they become what I call program-possessed. Program possession is the killer of marriage. And the reason it's the killer of marriage is because what is program possession? Is when you are least expecting it, the pain of your childhood that is stored in your subconscious literally jumps into your nervous system and knocks you out, takes over your face, voice, muscles, and body, and literally you become the worst of your programmer. So if you were abandoning, uh, you were abandoned by your programmer, you become an abandoner. If you were a neglector, you become uh, or neglected. You become a neglector. Uh, if you were an abuser, you become an abuser. Uh, if you were uh, an addict of some kind, like you know, <laughs> I, I've watched guys. They, if there's a television on in uh, a room, they can't hear anybody in the world. They can only hear a television. And what kind of power is that? That's the power of addiction. Well, you know, Larry, it's interesting you talk about that because in sexual addiction, we talk about that pain that you had as a child as being um, trauma reenactment. So that means that obviously you experienced that deprivation, that neglect, that abuse, and then as an adult, you don't know any other way but to do the same things in your current relationships until you get healthy. So we both are on the same page here. The core issues from your childhood, more oftentimes than not, feed right into what you see in the current day relationship until you take ownership of it. Yes, and, and uh, take ownership is a, uh, you know, you can say that, that I took ownership. Uh, there's more to it than taking ownership uh, because the idea is I took ownership. Well, how did you do it? What exactly did you do? Uh, when I'm talking about program possession, that's my term, by the way, uh, what happens in program possession is you are really not there. You are not aware. You are not awake. You really don't know what you're doing. You're in a daze, literally in a daze. Uh, so you can't think straight, and you don't know what you're doing or and it could last for 10 minutes, it could last an hour, it could last a half a day, a full day. Uh, and when you're program-possessed, uh, you are going to be the worst of your programmers, the worst of your mother, the worst of your father, the worst of whoever this big imprinter was. And so when you're program-possessed, you're literally not there. And the reason why we know you're not there is because if you were there, you would be conscious. You would be conscious. You would be aware. You'd know what you were doing. You would know why you were doing it. But people don't know why they're doing it. They don't know they're doing it. 
In fact, uh, what's the famous line? You're just like your mother. You're just like your father. What is that? You're the worst of your mother. You're the worst of your father. That's what their spouse is saying. You are the worst of your mother. And the person who's hearing that hates it. They hate the sound of that because they don't want to be the worst of their mother and the worst of their father. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to process it at all. And so for somebody to say that to them is just a horrible attack that they cannot tolerate. And uh, and that's meant, of course, to to you know wake up their their spouse. Uh, but but I, what I've discovered in in all of these interviews is that program possession kills intimacy. And, and my simple definition for intimacy is uh, I trust you and I enjoy you. And um, if you in my little exercises, if uh, if the two of you said, well, we were program possessed once a month for a year, and so we were program possessed a total of 24 times. Well, if you were program possessed 24 times and you were married for 20 years, right? You you've got hundreds of program possessions, right? Where you didn't know what you were doing, and you were killing intimacy and didn't realize it. Um, and people like the idea that they were not there, because when they hear the idea that they were not there, they they think, you know, I would never treat my wife that way. I I wouldn't treat my wife that way. That's not what I would do. But you weren't there. It wasn't you. What was it? It was the programmer who made all of that happen. So um, I have a I have a little um, kind of an illustration. You know, the in the psychology world, the word ego is the word for the uh, just the worst personality characteristics. Ego. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, when the psychology talks about anything, they talk about ego. And so, what I did uh, in in my teaching is I said, uh, forget that ego idea. What we want is a name and a face. And so I picked uh, Freddy from the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movies. And I said, let's imagine that that entity that's living in you that isn't you, uh, we're going to call him Freddy. And we have a name and we have a a face. Because when you have a name and a face, now you have something to separate yourself from. And when you don't have a name and a face, you don't know what you're separating yourself from. Like, what What am I? Who am I? I don't know who I am. Well, you are yourself, your personality. You are your programs, and you are your Freddy that manages your programs. So if you think about it this way, uh, your Freddy sits in your subconscious, and from your subconscious he uses the messages of your childhood and turns them on when you least expect them. And he will destroy your intimacy. And you're not going to know anything about it because you're not going to be there. You're not going to be awake. You're not going to be alert. So the job of becoming uh, awake, uh, I like to call it full-time aware, full-time aware. And, uh, and that, takes, uh, that takes time and that takes a, a special road that people have to be on uh, because when, you, when we're talking about addictions, uh, the sexual addiction is like the most famous and the most creepy because there's so much guilt around sex, massive amounts of guilt around sex that aren't around alcohol, that aren't around gambling, that aren't around all these other addictions. Sex has got the guilt package, unbelievably massive. And, uh, and, and that's one of the things that makes sex uh, the most destructive addiction because it has oh, so much guilt in it. Absolutely. And so... Obviously, you understand about addiction, you understand about numbing out, and you have a very specialized term for that. And again, that term is called? Program possession. Program possession. We are possessed by the program. (laughs) And uh, what's behind that, uh, my word, what's behind it, what's driving it, is it's the, the Freddy in us that literally, it's the worst of our parents, the worst of our parents transfers into us in our childhood because in those 10 years we are not processing what's happening to us and why because we can't think as a child we can't process well dad was having a bad day we can't do that it just comes in raw and stays in our subconscious and then it sits there as a as an energy waiting to be turned on and so what turns it on uh, all those cues all those uh, those little cues that we we think about when we think about addictions. Um, you know, uh, like for sex, uh, being alone, 
is a cue to turn on the sex addiction. Um, and, and then we also have in the, in the brain, we have the biology of, you know, the hippocampus and all those brain structures uh, that they help uh, carry the addiction physically with the physical chemical equivalent. I, I always like the uh, uh, What the Bleep Do We Know movie. What the Bleep Do We Know did a great job of visualizing uh, all of the the chemicals <laughs> leaving the uh, the brain and going into the body to create all of these uh, addiction behaviors. So there is a physical My component. favorite movies because it really lets people know how we got programmed that way and what we can do to change. Yes. Uh, it's a it's a very uh, uh, lofty and and very practical, uh, you know. When you watch it uh, the second time and the third time, and the fourth time, uh, you 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 start like, oh, you know, I'm start I'm starting to understand this now. <laughs> we we can't uh, just uh, watch it once. Well, so okay. So, now, obviously, you have a lot of theories, and this came about because of your own marriage. I mean, you felt like you were in this marital hell. You've been married 40 years? Yes, and I want to talk about why it was a, why was it hell. Um, okay, excellent. My, my wife, Marcia, is the toughest, strongest woman in the world. She is a massively strong-willed woman, and I am not. I'm very soft-hearted. So she's a very controlling woman, very strong-willed. She's got very strong ideas. And so that's why it was hell. She was very, very strong, and I was not. Uh, to top it off, uh, what made the two of us really impossible together is that my wife was trying to force me to take on her value system from her childhood. She was raised by a mother who was very, very physically attentive, physically attentive. She was there like a clock all the time, consistent with lunches and breakfast and clothes and laundry and cleaning. <laughs> and, uh, my, you know, my mother's an alcoholic. My father's a gambler. There was no structure at all. So I'm programmed for no structure. She's programmed for total structure. So she hated being around me because she was convinced that her program was right and my program was wrong. And that happens virtually in every marriage. So after the, the oh, oxytocin... In healthy marriages, it, it can show up. Yes, yes. So after the oxytocin, the dopamine, and the endorphins wears off of the romance, uh, when you start to have these programs turn on, uh, what else can you do except fight for what you were programmed for? That's all you can do. You can't do anything else. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was uh, sloppy. I was spontaneous. I was here, there, uh, close enough, whatever. <laughs> That was me. She is structure. She is on time. She is, you got to do it this way. There is no other way. (laughs) So why was it hell? Well, it was hell because she was trying to turn me into her. Now, that was a lot of pressure. To top it off, I was programmed to stay married and miserable like my parents. She was programmed to stay married and miserable by her parents. So we were programmed to stay in in an unhappy marriage couldn't figure out why we couldn't leave, couldn't run away. And uh, so with, with her pushing and forcing me into her value system, uh, just I, I didn't even know that's what was happening all those years. Uh, but I'm, I'm, and I'm going back into, you know, we were married in 1974. You know, 1974 is the year they impeached Nixon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I came out of hell when they elected the second Bush. That's how long I was in that, that hell marriage. And, and so the, 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 what I had to do is I had to, to find out what is a human being? What am I? Why do I do what I do? Why do I care about what I care about? Why do I react? And, and how come I don't even know why I'm reacting? And that's where I learned about program possession. Because once program possession turns on, you're not there. You're in a daze. You're in effect asleep. And so you don't know what you're doing. And the world does not like this idea. The world in general really doesn't want to believe that program possession is a real thing. They want to believe that you're always and fully responsible. 
and fully awake and fully alert. That's what they want to believe. But after those 1,600 interviews, I absolutely know that's not true. People are falling asleep, and they are literally becoming somebody they're not. And that's, you know, gee, that's really unfortunate. You're becoming somebody you're not. That means you're coming into a marriage with somebody else's personality, and when you least expect it, you turn the personality on without even realizing you're doing it. And now your spouse, who didn't buy that personality, is now getting pummeled by it. (laughs) And and they don't want that. Okay, so then obviously you could see that the two of you thought you wanted different things and you were going about it differently. Um, So tell me how you had this awakening. So um, it was uh, right around 2000, 2001. And uh, what the, and if we think about what I was telling you about full-time aware, um, when, you, when we read a book, a good book, we're learning ideas. We get ideas from the book and we learn them. The problem with the ideas that we learn from the book is they can be forgotten. And that's really the, why we don't always own the books we read and why we don't even finish the books we read. Um, But what we need is we need what really amounts to a revelation. A revelation is revealed and it becomes part of you. Now, the thing about revelation is you can't decide to get a revelation. Mm -hmm. You can't decide to. It's completely uh, unknown how it happens, a revelation. Uh, I, I call it a revelation, and I could also call it an epiphany. Um, which is the more popular word. But it is really a revelation. A revelation literally puts you into a full-time awareness place. You're always aware. And even if you don't want to be aware, even if you're not even thinking about the subject, you're aware because of revelation. Now, uh, a book, you might get a revelation from a book, but typically it's, it's ideas, Ideas come from, from the books, and, uh, and we can lose them. We can forget them. They don't become part of us. So what we want is we want revelation, and that's what I wanted. I wanted a revelation that caused me to see and know something I couldn't learn by transfer of information. Right. I wanted to know that I know that I know that I know that Marsha is not caustic, fierce, strong personality. I wanted to know that I was valuable and I was important and I was worthwhile. I wanted to know that. And I had spent years, years and years trying to get to that with information. And so I was getting these ideas. I was writing them down and I was taking thousands of notes, (laughs) but I still couldn't live it. I couldn't live it because it wasn't really revealed yet. And what I suspect is that when people are clear on the vision of where they want to be, um, you know, when you look at uh, like a sex addict, uh, a sex addict is literally obsessed with the body, a total obsession with the body. And they are given the message in their addiction that the body is their relief. The body is the relief from their pain. And if I could get this pleasure, if I could get this relief, oh, I'll feel so much better. And because they have no vision for anything else, this becomes the only thing they've got, the body. The body becomes everything to them. Well, I would Um, agree, but I would add to that, because what we know to be true in sex addiction is that it's actually a fusing between the body and that dopamine that then goes to the brain. And so it's a mind-body experience that provides numbing or euphoria or any kind of chemical high that then wants to be replicated. Um, There are some, uh, there's three excellent books I I would uh, really recommend. Um, uh, The uh, Sex Addiction Cure uh, by Uh uh, Matt Poplinski and um, uh, the uh, the book is uh, the second book is uh, called Breaking the Cycle George Collins, and then uh, oddly enough Russell Brand the comedian actor, uh, wonderful book Recovery Freedom from Our Addictions, uh, those are 
all really good uh, shake-you-and-wake-you kinds of books. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting you say that. And just tonight in my group, Russell Brand has a podcast that so many of my addicts absolutely adore because he does brain science with comedy with the yeah. typical reactions that occur when you have a lot of family of origin issues and core issues that you need to work out, and they play themselves out in your relationships in a dysfunctional way. Yes. Yeah. Well, Russell Brand is a great communicator. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> and uh, the, the, his ideas uh, kind of come pouring in really fast and furious, you know. So the uh, well, that's those it. three I books love are... George Collins. He is a CSAT. He's a certified sexual addictions therapist. So he is one of mine. We are in. <laughs> we were trained from the same place, and he's amazing. Now the other guy so, I had never heard of, so I have to look that up. Um, yeah, he's, uh, it's called Sex Addiction Cure, and uh, I think this is a, 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 a layman. Uh, Matt Plonsky is a, a layman. It's uh, P-E-P-L-I-N-S-K-I. I I think he's just a layman that uh, has a way of communicating this uh, through his own through his own life, and it's people who really like it. Um, so uh, I want to go back to the uh, the idea of um, an entity that lives in in your mind that is the tormentor of the human race. Your Freddy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came up with, I was working with a nurse, and I came up with a thing called the Freddy Pharmacy Pocket Edition. <laughs> okay. So the Freddy Pharmacy is, is 12 drugs. And uh, she gave me this idea. She said, that there's a big book in doctor's office called the Physician's Desk Reference, Desk Reference and we should, we should pattern the, the, uh, some, of this, uh, some of these drugs. These are, you know, energy drugs, uh, anger complacency, contempt, criticism. Uh, so there's 12 of these on, on, this, uh, on this page. And so uh, she named uh, anger uh, angrium <laughs> for a drug name. Right. And the definition of angrium is a strong feeling of displeasure or hostility. And uh, there's a reward paragraph and then a side effect paragraph. So the reward is what makes you want to go there. You want to get this feeling. So what is the reward of anger in this example? Feelings of justification, I'm not going to put up with this anymore, right every wrong, prepared for attack, feeling of being right, my righteous anger. These are all rewards for being angry. Now, I, I don't want to start with anger because anger isn't typical for, for sex addicts. Uh, what's more uh, connected to uh, sex addicts is guilt. And so <laughs> she, she uh, my nurse friend, uh, titled guilt, uh, uh, Guiltoxalade, <laughs> that's her, her drug name. The definition is this, the state uh, one has committed an offense, feeling conviction for imagined offenses and a sense of inadequacy. And so the rewards of guilt are to be punished and make bad feelings go away. Pay for what you did and get relief from the torment. You must suffer a consequence or never find relief. That's the reward of guilt. And so this is perfect for a sex addiction. And so the side effect of sex, uh, the sex addiction guilt, is you cannot concentrate when you have the drug in you. You have self-pity, you have fear, you have no confidence, you can't think straight, and you have strained relationships. So if you look at the rewards, the rewards last probably 10 seconds. But the side effects could last hours and days. And that's true of all of these drugs. Because that's interesting. That is really an interesting concept. Now, can I ask you something? Because we're getting towards the end, and I obviously you've got a lot of interesting concepts that absolutely apply to marriages, especially those that have been ravaged by addiction. Tell me a little bit about what you call codependency and why you believe the couples form a codependent relationship. So let's go back to program possession. Um, okay. We're attracted to matching childhood pain. Um, I've seen this uh, in these interviews, is that people are attracted to matching childhood pain. So an abused childhood and an abused childhood 
a neglected childhood and a neglected childhood. Now, when people meet, the last thing they want to talk about is their childhood. The last thing. They don't want to talk about that at all, especially people in their 20s who think they're going to live forever. And so when they meet, what's really drawing them together and really releasing this oxytocin and dopamine endorphins is the matching childhood pain. They were both abandoned. And when they're both abandoned, that the chemicals turn on because there's a childhood match. And so they're drawn mm. together. And then after the chemicals wear off, the abandonment begins, and it takes two forms. The first form is I'm going to watch you, monitor you, and, and guard that you don't abandon me. That's the first form. The second form is I'm going to abandon you before you abandon me. And, and this is just over and over again in all those interviews I did. This is Abandonment is just so dependable because that's what people always told me. I did the first abandonment. I was watching. I was monitoring. I was checking. I didn't trust. And I was pushing and pushing and pushing with this distrust. Why? Because I'm fearful of abandonment. But then something snaps. Either in me or you, something snaps. And what is the something that snaps? I'm going to abandon you before you abandon me. I'm going to get rid of you before you get rid of me. Because what is program possession but in abandonment? But I was emotionally abandoned by my father. I was emotionally and physically abandoned by my mother. And so now this abandonment energy is sitting in you. Your Freddie has that abandonment energy. You could turn it on uh, virtually with the right set of conditions. And, well, where's your intimacy now? Where's I trust you and I enjoy you? It's not going to last. It's going to be pummeled to death until there is no I trust you and there is no I enjoy you. It's going to be gone. Because uh, when these two people who don't know anything about program possession, don't know anything about the, the matching childhood pain. They don't talk about it. You know, uh, by the way, I, I want to tell you an amazing, miraculous thing about Marsha is I, I learned most of this from her. <laughs> because oh, as wow. we were going through, yeah, through all these 27 years, uh, Marsha is a woman who doesn't learn from books or from people or from anything. She just learns from her own epiphanies and her own revelation and she just knows things and she would teach them to me after we'd have these big knockdown drag out things <laughs> so that's where i learned a lot of this i learned from the woman i hated most and uh and she really Isn't really transformed me you know clearly one of the things that i know is you're talking about abandonment but i gotta tell you i believe there are five fears of intimacy and they are fear of abandonment fear of rejection, fear of hurting others, fear of being hurt, and fear of merger. And so as you talk about your experience, obviously that fits very clearly with that fear of intimacy. You learned not to trust intimacy, not to have intimacy, not to get intimacy, so you continue to replicate that in today's world. So how does that relate to codependency? Um. So what, what's the codependent picture look like? I need you to do something so that I can do something. That's a, another way to say codependent. I'm mm -hmm. cooperatively dependent on you to do what you do so I can do what I do. You do what you're programmed to do, and then I do what I'm programmed to do. And so we've got all of these thousands of combinations of what we have to do because we're programmed to do it. And people don't know how to turn that off. They don't know what it is or where it is or how to turn it off. They, know anything. they don't know anything about a Freddy. <laughs> what is a Freddy? They don't know anything like that. So they are just doing what they were programmed to do. And, uh, and so when, when we're talking about uh, those five things that are destroying intimacy, uh, what are they all built on? They're all built on fear. Mm -hmm. And fear is a, a perfect natural thing to happen to a child. You know, because you have no way to protect yourself. You don't have people protecting you. You weren't protected. Uh, you had somebody dangerous, uh, you know, making you afraid. Uh, you had anxiety. Your mother was anxious. She was a worrier. Uh, you're now a worrier, and you are anxious. And so you have fear. Fear is very natural for you. And so your Freddie now, who has that collection of fears, can turn them on, and now you're screwed because you don't know 
where's Freddie? Where is this thing in my subconscious? What's happening to me? You don't know. What is it? Where is it? How does it work? So the, so the idea of uh, Freddie has a name and a face, and what's the value of that? The value of that is you have a name and a face. See, the, the, a concept like ego has no face. It really doesn't have a name. But once you have a Freddie, it's kind of a funny term. Uh, what's your Freddie up to? <laughs> now you're becoming aware that something is in you that has an agenda. It's ready to turn on your sexual addiction. It's ready to turn on your alcohol addiction. It's always ready to start turning on the things that you don't know anything about. And so when I was talking earlier about full-time aware, um, one of the most uh, wonderful awareness revelation tools uh, I have seen in people's lives, oddly enough, is A Course in Miracles. And uh, now, A Course in Miracles is written like, uh, like Shakespeare, which people can't really comprehend. And besides that, it's 1,300 pages. Um, but fortunately, there's two wonderful translator books <laughs> for The Course in Miracles. One's The Course in Miracles Made Easy, and the other one is The, Disappearing, uh, the Disappearance of the Universe. And these two books really will cause you to see your body differently. It'll cause you to see the world differently. It'll give you the closest thing to a revelation that you can actually pursue. And uh, it's, it's quite a bit of work to go pursue A Course in Miracles and the two explanation books. Uh, but if you're in enough pain, you'll, you'll go hunting for it. Oh, I 100% believe in that book. And for anybody who's listening, A Course in Miracles is somewhat of an alternative to other spiritual books. And so I, who am a Christian, really love The Course in Miracles because it's a healthy way of thinking. And it, it allows you to open your mind and to know that you have the power in relationship with your higher power to be able to really create your own reality. And, and see, uh, the one of the greatest values is Course in Miracles and the Explanation books reposition this world for you. They reposition this world in a, in a, in a new way that you have never, ever suspected. <laughs> Once you have that posi- repositioning, uh, that revelation that, you know, it cannot be forgotten. You have this constant awareness that you never had. And that's really what what people with addictions really want. They want a full-time awareness. Because if they had a full-time awareness and a sense that I'm going to something better, I'm doing something better, I'm moving towards something greater, if they had that full-time awareness, the addiction could not control them. When, when I've spent time with addicted people, uh, when they have the times when the, the addiction becomes the strongest, there ain't nothing going on. There's nothing going on. They're bored. They're alone, they're frustrated, they're, you know, there's just nothing going on. They've lost their vision. They have no vision for where they're going and why they're going there. And that's one of the greatest greatest things that keeps an addiction in place, no vision for where I'm going. But if you had a vision for where you're going and you were, you owned it, you had a full-time awareness about this vision of where you were going, that's why I mentioned The Course in Miracles, uh, because it's repositioning this world, completely repositioning it, in a way we never, ever is expected. And it's a very, very refreshing uh, look at what are we doing here? What is this place? <laughs> and, and it gives you a bigger view, because what happens in addictions, you become smaller and smaller and smaller. It becomes, I need this tiny little thing. <laughs> It's obvious that you're very well read. You have looked into a lot of life. Now tell me a little bit about yourself, because obviously you share that missing link to separating yourself from the unexpected source that causes addictive behavior. So how can people get a hold of you? How can they read more about your theories and your beliefs? 
tell me a little bit about your path and and how people can can connect. Um, I teach a course called the Environment Changer. It's called the Environment Changer, and uh, the reason it's called the Environment Changer is because you're changing the energy environment within you. Uh, there is no problem out there; everything is in here. But we don't know anything about in here because we're so obsessed with the world out there. We believe everything is out there. All our problems are out there. All our solutions are out there. Everything's out there. Um, so what the Environment Changer course does is it's a, it's a, a long course. It's 12 weeks long. And uh, there's a woman's course where all the women are together. And then there's a men's course where the men are together. And these... Um, they learn about their Freddies, and uh, they learn to uh, leave their Freddies behind and free themselves from their Freddies. And because they get this freedom, uh, they will get on planes and go see each other. That's how close they get through this course. So um, the Environment Changer course is what my, uh, my whole uh, uh, system is built on, teaching people how to change the inner energy environment uh, in order to get to the vision of what they really lost they lost their vision they lost it in their childhood they were, their parents never had a vision and then uh, they don't have a vision so um so that's what i'm doing i'm i'm teaching people through this um so it, and people find me because they're finding me because of troubled marriages uh really lost hope kind of marriages because the what happens virtually every person who ever uh contacts me their spouse is in a midlife crisis. And what is a midlife crisis? It is your childhood coming for you in your adult life, between 35 and 45 years old, typically. And so now your childhood has come for you. What are you going to do? You don't know anything about yourself. So what are you going to do? You're going to turn against your spouse. You're going to turn uh, and ignore your children. You're going you're to destroy finances. You're going to up, increase your addictions. Uh, so if you're a not a non a non learner, the person you leave behind is the learner, and that's really who I'm catering to. I'm catering to the people who are left behind, the women and the men who are left behind, because these people want that marriage to be transformed. And what's really amazing is the whole course is just built uh, on, on the similarity of my my life with Marsha. What was my life with Marsha? Marsha makes me miserable, makes me suffer. I get really motivated, and I learn, 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 <laughs> and my life changes. And that's what these people are going through. They're going so through I the learn, learn, learn process. If they want to find out about you, they can go to www.youcansavethismarriage.com, and that's yeah. where they can find out more about your teachings and how you might be able to help them on the road of recovery, because clearly what I hear you saying is that it only takes one to save a marriage. So they can, even if there's just one invested, make a big difference in their lives. And the reason why is the person who's running away is a reactor, what I call a reactor. They are not a creator. They are a reactor. They react to everything. Whatever happens, they're reacting to it. They're not creating anything. They're reacting to everything. And so the job of the person who remains, it only takes one. Why does it only take one? Because you get to become a creator. And when you become a creator, you change the energy in the room, in the house, in the, in the town. You change energy. And when you change energy, your reactor spouse who's leaving you has to react to your transformation because they're reactors. That's what they do. And that's why it takes only one. We need one creator and one reactor. Well, I thank you so much, Larry. You have been very insightful. You shared a lot of good information. Thank You've you, given Carol. my listeners some hope. And um, I wish you continued success. You're in my neighboring state there. And um, you just keep me posted on things that you're doing. All right. Thanks, Carol, very much. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it was a pleasure. You have a great Beautiful. week. Okay, thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So obviously this is a man who really thinks out of the box, but he doesn't. I mean, for um, for a person who does not have a theoretical background, 
he truly ascribes to so much of what we do as clinicians. I believe, too, that it only takes one to save a marriage. So if you're a partner and you love somebody, then you have to be able to assess whether they're willing to change, watch for those changes, and take care of yourself and stay safe. And if you're the addict, then what you need to do is, despite your spouse's mistrust and disbelief, you have to do the next right thing and constantly make changes that move you closer to recovery. And when you do that, you are then able to make choices that will not only better your own life, but better the life of your family. Now, you and I both know, as partners and addicts, you can't save a marriage if the other person doesn't want it to. But if that other partner is defended and protecting him or herself because you've hurt them so badly and traumatized them, then I promise you, if you do all the right things, if you work towards recovery, if you create good, healthy boundaries, if you take care of yourself, if there's any chance of that marriage working, you've exponentially increased it. All right, I'm Carol the Coach, and this is Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And as I end every show, I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And when you do that, and you use your voice, and you have your boundaries, and you do your work, it works. So I'll see you next week. So make it a good one, and we'll talk to you soon.